Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. Welcome to Tri-Cities. Uh, if you just snuck in the last few minutes, we are, or whether you've been here from the beginning, we're glad you're here, and we're excited to be able to worship together today. If you have a Bible, go ahead and take it out. We're going to be uh, in Matthew 28, and if you're like, that's not the normal bearded guy, you'd be right. I'm one of the pastors here, but I'm not Derek Sherfy. Uh, he much, looks much better in a beard than I do, but I do what I can. Um, and so it's just great to be able to be with you, to worship together, to be in God's Word. I don't know what to do with this massive like lectern. I feel like I need to get up here and like, feel like beating my Bible or something at you guys. That's awesome. No, uh, so Matthew 28 is where we're going to be this morning. We've been walking through the story. Last week, we got to walk through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus together. And just an awesome time to be able to celebrate what God has done through the power of the gospel and understanding the gospel and understanding what God has done for us through his son Jesus Christ gives us life, but it also gives us purpose for our lives. And so we kind of began that last time, and then today we're going to get to come in and see, okay, now if we understand the gospel and we've received the gospel and that Jesus is the Savior of the world and everything we've been reading all year long, if you've been with us walking through the stories, you've gone through the Old Testament, and the law, the prophets, now it's culminated in Jesus Christ. From this point until the end of the year, we're going to talk about what does it look like for us to live in light of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so that's where we're going this morning in a passage that's going to be very familiar. Before we do, I just want to pray for us again. And I just want to ask you to pray with me, not just listen to me pray. And as we pray together, I want to ask you to pray for the person to your right or to your left. And you might know who they are and may not. God knows who they are, so you can just kind of give a description to God and he will hear you. He knows, he understands. But one of the privileges we get of being together every week is we as the church encourage one another through the word, through singing, through prayer. So as I pray for us, would you just pray with me and ask that God would open our eyes to see him, the Holy Spirit would reveal himself to us through the teaching of the word. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Uh, We thank you this morning for the opportunity to gather, to worship you, to adore you. And we thank you that we now get to see and obey and hear your word, your truth that you've given to us. And I pray that we would do that. Lord, I pray for my friends this morning. pray that their hearts would grow in love and their affection, their joy for you. I pray that for myself. I pray that you give us a burden for the lost. As a church who's been placed here in Northeast Tennessee, I pray that we would be a light to those who are around us that we would carry a burden for others to know the truth and the joy and the beauty of what we found in you. I pray that that would happen in us. I pray this would not just be another passage that we kind of know something about and we hear and we go on about our day, but I pray that you would change us, that you would transform us. If you need to, that you would wreck us, that you would break the idols of our hearts. Lord, I pray that you do that in this room. pray that you do that in me. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the globe who are worshiping you and serving you today, especially those who are in France and Paris this morning. After incredible tragedy and loss this weekend, Father, we pray that the gospel would shine bright. And we pray for our brothers and sisters on the ground there that you'd encourage their hearts, you'd strengthen their hands, and that out of this evil there would be great good and that the gospel would go forth in Europe and around the world. We pray that we would carry that this morning. May we decrease, may you increase. Pray that nothing would be known in this room except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We love you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. 
Amen. So Matthew 28 is where we're going to be this morning, and a familiar passage as we're looking at the Great Commission. Um, and as I was getting into this text, there's, there's so much here that we're going to try to cover, and we're going to try to look at. Um, but as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about our purpose in life and what we've been called to you. How many of you have ever had one of those moments, maybe you've had multiple ones, where you're just like, I was made for this? Like you were doing something involved, uh, maybe you were at the beach on vacation, laying out there in the nice sun, you're like, I was made for this, like this is what I need to do with my life, you know, or maybe it was on a trip, or I don't know what it was, um, but that you're like, man, this is what I need to be, or I wish I could live this all the time, we know what that's like. Or maybe some of you, you've experienced that time in life where you've actually been doing something that you could do with all your life besides laying on the beach, and you're like, man, I was made for this. Uh, For me, one of those times has been when I was in college, a lot of you guys are there now, I was at ETSU, I took a semester off of college and went and lived in Central America, Nicaragua and Honduras, and worked with a mission agency there, and just kind of stopped school for six months, lived there for four and just kind of gave my life to doing ministry and mission. And that was before I knew, you know, everything I was going to be called to and that I would be here, anything like that. It was just God put that opportunity in my path and that desire in my heart, and I went. And as I was doing that, those feelings came on me a lot. Like, I was made for this. Now, if you look at me now, I'm not standing in Central America, right? So... What was it about that moment? Was I just like kind of feeling something that wasn't real? Well, no. The reason I felt that was because I was sharing the gospel. Like I was telling people about Jesus. I was leveraging what God had given me for his glory. And what I want to encourage you, and I hope you see and grab this morning as we walk through this test, is that this passage shows us your purpose for life. And my purpose for life. To bring glory to God through the advancement of the gospel. And no matter who you are, where you live, what you do, what your job, what your degree is in, you can do that. And there's purpose, and there's meaning, and there's passion behind it. And it's found in knowing and loving and making much of God in the sphere that he's given you. And so this morning, my hope is that this is a time that challenges us and convicts us, but also it encourages and compels us to carry what we've heard and what we've seen. So let's look at Matthew 18 together, okay? And as we walk through uh, Matthew 28, sorry, verse 16, as we look at this passage, I'll just make some comments along the way, and then we'll talk about what this means. So just for context, the book of Matthew, it's one of the Gospels, and it's a Gospel written to a Jewish audience, and so Matthew's trying to help Jewish people understand that Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, if you've been reading along with us, you know that Matthew 1 begins with genealogies, and it's like everybody's favorite part of the Bible to see this person begat that person who begat this person with a weird name that I don't understand that begat. But the point is, Matthew is tracing along Jesus' lineage and line to prove and show that Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for. He's the one who was promised in the garden. He is the one who's come. And now we're seeing the end of this message, end of this book, as he's writing to this audience. Verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain with which Jesus had directed them. Now eleven disciples, we know because Judas killed himself after betraying our Lord, and so those are the eleven. It says, went to Galilee. Galilee is important for a couple reasons. One, Jesus grew up in Galilee and around Galilee in Nazareth. And so this is kind of a return to where Jesus' ministry started. It's a picture 
of home and living out uh, what God had sent Jesus to do on this earth. But it's even more important than that. We know in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, which we'll probably read in a few weeks as we get closer to Christmas, is the passage about uh, Jesus being Emmanuel. It begins by saying that the land, the people in darkness have seen a great light. And then it makes a very important statement. He's going to come out of the Galilee of the Gentiles. The Galilee of the Gentiles. Then you get to Matthew 28 and verse 16. It says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Well, Galilee is a Jewish town. So how's Galilee going to be the Galilee of the Gentiles? How are the nations going to come to see the light through a little place on the map that has no significance called Galilee? Well, it's because of this. Because Jesus is here, and Jesus is going to be with the Father, but he's commissioning these men out. So out of Galilee will come the gospel to everyone, to us. We benefit from that. Verse 17, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Who's doubting here? Kind of reading some of the prep for this and commentaries. Most, most people don't believe that this is the disciples who are actually doubting, but there's others around. There's crowds that follow Jesus. And we know because the road to Emmaus and other stories that a lot of people had trouble understanding who Jesus was. But whoever these doubters were, there were people among the disciples, around the disciples, who they had their doubts about Jesus. And I just want to stop right there because some of you come in this morning you have doubts about Jesus. Uh, maybe you come in and you're not a Christian. You're here with a friend, or you're just trying to figure things out. You've got doubts, you've got questions. I just want to encourage you, they were coming to Jesus. And you're doing the right thing by coming here this morning to hear, to understand. Maybe you're a Christian this morning, and you have doubts. Whether it's about God's goodness, about things that are happening in your life, and that you just can't reconcile, that are hard, I just want to encourage you, you're in the right place this morning. Not because all your doubts are going to be relieved by something a guy on this stage says, but because you are coming to see and to hear about the Lord. It's okay to come with your doubts this morning. Verse 18, and Jesus came to them. I love that. Jesus came. Just like we don't go to Jesus. Jesus comes to us. Jesus came to earth. Jesus went to the cross. Even in this statement is the gospel. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And if you're a person that underlines or circles or you use like your finger to highlight on your iPad Bible or whatever you do, I want to encourage you to circle every single time you see the word all. It appears four times in these four verses. It's important. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all, there it is again, nations. And that word nations, it's pantatos ethne, which it literally means people groups. So the Great Commission is not just for us here in Tennessee, but it's for all people groups, all nationalities, all dialects around the globe. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all, there it is again, that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. It's another derivative of all. To the end of the age. So in light of Jesus' death, 
in our place, his burial, his resurrection to life. Jesus gives this command to the disciples, not just to them, but to those who are watching, not just to them, but to us, if you're a Jesus follower in this room. And so what I want to do is we're going to take the next uh, several minutes together and we're going to look at five truths about this mission that Jesus calls his disciples to. And so here's the big idea before I do that. As Jesus followers, we've been saved and sent by God to go live on mission by making disciples of all people everywhere. This is kind of the big idea, the bottom line. This is what this passage is about. This is kind of what our time together is about that I want us to grab a hold of. We'll break down what it means over the next few minutes. But as Jesus followers, we have been saved and sent by God to go and live on mission. We'll talk about what that means. By making disciples of all peoples everywhere. This is your purpose. This is my purpose to glorify God, to enjoy him forever by putting him on display with this little breath, this little piece of existence that God has given each of us. That's why you're created. That's why I'm created. And that's where joy and purpose are found this morning. So five truths about the mission that we see from these few verses. The first is this. The mission is secure. The mission is secure. The mission that God has called you to, the purpose he's created you for, me for, it is secure. We make disciples under his authority. We make disciples under his authority. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority, not some authority, all authority has been given to him. In heaven, everything in the spiritual realm and on earth is under his authority. What does that mean? that whatever Jesus is about to tell you to do, it's going to happen. This is good news. You and I can't mess this up. You cannot mess the mission up. All authority, all power has been given to the Son of God. And so when he says in a minute, go, we don't go wondering if it's going to happen. We don't go wondering, is victory possible? Wondering, what if I do this and mess it up? No, when he says all authority, all power has been given to him, it means that victory is his. It means the mission will be accomplished. It means we get to be a part of a battle and a fight that's already been won. I've heard Pastor Derek many times say, we fight from victory for victory or to victory. That's good news this morning for us as Christians. All authority in heaven and on earth, everything is under his feet. It's his. I don't know if you've ever uh, been a part of something that was impossible for you to do. Um, maybe someone asked you like, to come do something you've never done before, and just because you didn't want them to know that you can't do it, you're like, sure, I can come help you build that or fix that. And you're like, there's no way this is going to happen. Or for some of you college students or us post-college students, you know, the day you overslept and didn't study for your test and realize, oh no, I have a test for today. And it's like impossible that you're going to pass this test. Um, we've all felt that before. One of the things that's impossible for me to do, no matter how long I try or how hard I try, is I cannot roll my R's. I lived in a Central America company or country for almost six months, and I cannot roll my R's. My wife can, but I'm like, grrr, every time I try to say, my wife will try to make me do it just to make me look like a fool, and I'll try, and it's like, that's about the best I can do. It's impossible. But the mission that God has called us to is possible. It's not only possible, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So here's a couple uh, truths for us within this big idea. All authority means, one, I am not the Savior, and you are not the Savior. 
all authority. When Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, it means for you and for me who are called and commissioned by God, you and I are not the Savior. Now, that does two things to me. One, it takes the pressure off. It's not your responsibility or my responsibility to save people. That's good news, right? You cannot and I cannot talk anyone into giving their life to Christ. You and I are called instead to be faithful. Called to be faithful to the message God's given us. But it's also scary that we're not the Savior. It means that we can't do this on our own. It means every single moment, every single conversation, every single interaction that you and I have, we need the all authority of Jesus' power and presence. There should never be a moment in the Christian life where we walk into anything God's called us to and say, I've got this. That's prideful and arrogant. Right? We don't have it. We have no authority. But he has the authority. So you and I are not the Savior. The second thing it means is that you and I can rest in the fact that Jesus is in control and you and I can focus on being faithful. We can walk in confidence in what God has called you to. You can go back to your job, back to your dorm, back to your teacher, and you can share your faith in confidence knowing that God is in control, that Jesus has authority, and the mission is secure in him. We don't have to live afraid. But in our hearts and in my heart, this is just me, I'm going to be honest, there's a lot of insecurity. There's a lot of fear. What's that person going to say? What are they going to think? How are they going to treat me? What's this going to cost me? Instead, we're called to walk by being faithful. So we see in this passage that the mission is secure. The second thing that we see in this passage, the second truth about the mission, is that the mission defines our lives. So the mission is secure, but the mission also defines our lives. We make disciples as we go, or as we are going. Look at verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That, that word go, um, it literally means as you go or as you are going, make disciples. It's, it's a participle, and it's, it's given, uh, if you're like a, a, any grammar people in this room, like you love English, anybody in this room, like you just hate like all things English and grammar and all that kind of stuff. Okay, I get a lot of head nods. Okay, so for you guys, this doesn't matter. For those of you guys like grammar nerds, uh, go is a participle, but it's given imperative. It's given force by the command to go make disciples. Make disciples is what we're called to do, but go is given force because of what we're going to do. Make disciples in the language that's here what's the point go or as you are going make disciples we make disciples as we go i think this is one of the most freeing things about this passage jesus doesn't just say hey on top of everything else you're doing go make disciples he's saying as you are going make disciples so this is a couple things it means as you go means that everywhere you set your feet as a jesus follower is your mission field As you go means that everywhere you go as a Christian is your mission field. Across the street or around the world, that is the mission field that God has called you to. That's good news. It means all of life is a mission. It's not that one time of year where we go to Nicaragua or Honduras or Romania. It's all of life. And so if you're a stay-at-home mom, that's your mission field. my, My wife, thankfully, is able to stay with our kids three lost, unregenerate children who don't know Jesus. 
around neighbors who don't know Jesus. Who goes to the store around people who don't know Jesus. And you go to work around people who don't know Jesus. And some of you go to class and there are people who sit all around you all day long that they don't know Jesus. They're dying and they're going to hell unless someone, unless you, unless someone else shares the truth of the gospel. And so the mission field is where we are. The mission field is out there. It is around the world and we're going to get there. But the mission field is wherever you are as a Christian. As you go means the mission is not something extra that you add on to your already busy life. As you go means instead that the mission defines your life. This was kind of a radical thought for me a few years ago as I was reading through God's word. I always thought about mission and living on mission with something else I did with everything else I already do. But when you read this verse, when it says, as you go, or as you're going, it means that the mission is not something you add on to your life if you're a Jesus follower. It is your life. It defines your life. Being a business major does not define your life. Being a Jesus follower and missionary defines your life. And the way that you follow Jesus is by being a business major. If you work at Eastman, Eastman is not your identity. Jesus is your identity, and you carry the gospel to Eastman with your identity. Do you understand? You're tracking with me? This is what Jesus is saying. As you are going, as you're doing life, as you're with your family, as you're in your workplace, make disciples. It means everyone in this room is a missionary, whether you go live in Yugoslavia or whether you live in Great Tennessee or Unicoi County. You're a missionary right where God has placed you. Every job is significant. Every passion is significant. And anything that God places on your heart to go do as a vocation or career, you can leverage for the glory of God and his kingdom. The question is, are we? That is the question. So we see that the mission is secure. All authority has been given to Jesus Christ. The mission is to make disciples as we go. The third truth is the mission is to make disciples. Sorry, I just said that. The mission is to make disciples. So the mission happens as we go, but the mission, it's to make disciples. That's the point of this passage. We make disciples, and it happens through the gospel. Verse 19, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Your mission, my mission what we've been called to do with our lives, your purpose in life is to glorify God. How? Through enjoying Him. How? Through making disciples. By helping other people see Jesus and see the beauty of the gospel that you have experienced in Christ Jesus. That is awesome. This is what we get to do. In in 2 Timothy, Paul said it a different way as he was talking to his Son of the faith, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is what it means. It means to take what we've learned about the gospel and give it to others. When I was in middle school, I got to do something that I only did, I've only done for one year in my life. I played football, and I played for the Gray Eagles, and was not 
awesome at it. The reason I got to play was because I was a little bit bigger than a lot of other people, so I played a defensive tackle. Um, and play is kind of like a, a generous word. I sat the bench as a defensive tackle until we'd get up 30 or 40 points. Then I would go out because even though I was big, I had this one thing that played against me. I didn't like to hit or be hit. And I was a defensive tackle, so that was not, you know, the good point. That was not the good place for me to be, but that's where I was. So I can remember we were in one game, and we really were up over 50 points. And so I went in, and we were crushing this team. And I don't know why, but as we were in the middle of that game, I realized the quarterback was just kind of dump passing the ball just right away because we were sacking him so quick. And so he snapped the ball. I hit my block and popped back, and sure enough, there it came, arms up interception like my moment of glory I have interception I didn't run with it I just got tackled right away and went down and across uh the intercom you know interception number 76 Paul you know if you know my last name's Mermiliad they didn't know and so it was the moment of glory right and so fast forward to the end of the season we're playing the championship game. Our undefeated team against Colonial Heights Chargers, the other in the undefeated team. We go all four quarters, no score, go into overtime, double overtime, win in double overtime. Just epic, epic win. The championship is ours. Guess how much time I played in that game? Zero. Absolutely zero. Guess what I got at the end of the game? A trophy. Why? Because I was a part of the team. Did I deserve a trophy? Absolutely not. <laughs> My reward was accomplished at the hands of others. And because I was a part of the team, I got to be a part of the reward. In Jesus' language, we call that grace. You and I have done absolutely nothing to earn Christ's favor and merit. We were enemies, in fact playing on the opposite team. God, in his grace, sent his son to die in your place, my place, rescued us, opened our eyes to see the beauty of the gospel, opened our eyes to see the truth of what Christ has done. When others couldn't see it, he opened my eyes. When I think about passages like this, I'm like, why did you save me? I see my heart, and I know what I've thought, what I've done. It's like, why would you rescue me? But he has. He has. It's grace. So, What does it look like for us to make disciples? To extend that grace to others. This is the message we carry. This is when he says in this passage, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. He doesn't mean go out in the street and like start dunking people, like carry a bowl of water around like dunking people. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is baptism is the final showing. It's the commissioning of a new life in Christ. And so everything that leads up to baptism is what it means for us to go make disciples and do. You carry the message of grace that God has redeemed and rescued and saved you when you were an enemy to everyone around so that they can see him and then you get to help be a part of baptizing them. That's why we bring it up on stage and you guys get to be a part of that story and that process to celebrate what God has done. So making disciples, it's carrying the message of grace and it's sharing the message of grace. That's what it means to make disciples. And so he says, make disciples, there's three things here, all nations, baptizing, and teaching. Baptizing, we just talked about what that means. It means just sharing the truth of the gospel, this grace that we've found in Christ Jesus. 
teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. What does that mean? It means that as Jesus followers, we're called to help others understand this book. And this is convicting for me, studying, thinking about this this week. If you and I do not know this book, we cannot help others understand this book. We cannot, you and I, cannot fulfill the purpose God has called us to if we are people who are ignorant of God's word. We cannot teach them to observe all that God has commanded us if we do not understand what God has commanded us. So we need to be people who are sharing the truth of God's grace, but we need to be people who know this word, who live in this word, who breathe in this word, who share and teach this word. This is why we do study groups and life groups so that we can come together as God's people and we can dive into this and we can encourage others. And for some of you, your first step is just to get involved so that someone else can help pour into you. And then for some of you in this room, you know God's word. And it's time for you to start helping instruct other people that come alongside of a Larry Durham or a Derek Scherfe and say, I want to help teach other people to understand this book. And ultimately what you see happening here, what Jesus is telling us to do is just the normal rhythm of life that God's called us to. You go, you share the gospel with the people God's placed you around. At school, at work on the intramural team, at home. You extend to them grace. And then God opens their eyes, just like he did your eyes. Breaks down the walls, just like he did within your heart. He saves them. You help them be baptized, and then you help them understand this book. Whether it's over coffee, or whether it's in the dorm room, or whether it's at your home, you start opening God's word together, and you read God's word together, and you help teach them to follow God's word and obey it. This is what it means to make disciples. But he also says we're supposed to do it of all nations, of all ethnicities, all people groups. For some around this world, everyone in this room, we should be engaged in the mission that goes around this world. But for some, maybe God's called you to go. To go to an unreached people group. You go to the Joshua Project online, and it gives all information about unreached people groups. There are over 6,600 people groups ethnicities who have never heard the gospel in their language. Who will go? For some of us, we're going to sin. For others in this room, it's to go. And I know Pastor Derek's heart. His heart is to go. His heart is to see you go, to equip you to go. And I would love to see the day when Tri-Cities Baptist Church, that the sun never sets on our church. Because we have missionaries all over the globe going to the hard places because Jesus is worth it, willing to give their lives for the best things because he is the reward. I want to be a part of that. I want us to be a part of that. I want you to be a part of that. So we make disciples of all people everywhere. Thank you. (laughs) Got some music going on. It's awesome. The mission is secure. The mission defines our lives. The mission is to make disciples. Two more. These will be quick. The mission, well, sorry, practical ways we make disciples. Let me just give these to you because this is important for where we are as a church. Here's five ways that we focus on making disciples as a church. And it's five things that all of us can do. Pray, engage, share, multiply, and give. These are our our global outreach, our go core practices. These are five things that we see all throughout Scripture. All of us can pray, and this is where it begins for some of us. 
Who is in your sphere of influence? Who are the three names? Who has God put in your life that doesn't know Jesus that you can be praying for? And I just want, as one of your pastors, I struggle with these. Okay, I'm not standing up in front of you like an awesome missionary. Like Pastor Derek goes in the Starbucks and people come up to him and say, would you please tell me about Jesus? I need to be saved. And I go into Starbucks and people are like, get away from me. You're weird. You know, that's kind of, that's just not my personality. So this is hard. I'm an introvert. And so I, as we talk about these things, I don't say this to someone who's awesome, Adam. I say this to someone who is working and leveraging and fighting in this with you, that we, we need to pray for people. Who can you pray for? Who's that family member that seems so far away from the gospel you've quit praying for him? Who's that dorm mate, that sweet mate, that classmate that they seem so far from Jesus that maybe you've just quit praying for him? One of the greatest things that we can do is to pray. Because all authority in heaven and on earth is his. And if all authority is his, and if he can open your cold, dead heart and my cold, dead heart to see the truth of the gospel, he can open anyone's cold, dead, sinful heart to see the truth of the gospel. And so we pray. But we don't just pray, we engage. We have conversation. We invite them back to our dorm. We go get coffee. We have conversations. We share our story. We talk about spiritual things. Why? Because all authority has been given to him. doesn't matter if they reject me. The mission is going to be secure. It's not found in me. It's found in him. And then we share. We actually come to that moment that we're all so scared about where we actually tell someone the truth, the gospel, and we ask them if they want to respond to it. But again, all authority is his. What are you scared of? What am I scared of? We multiply. That's the making disciples. That's the growing. That's the teaching them to observe all I've commanded. It's not just sharing the gospel and walking away, but it's helping someone grow into a fully formed disciple of Jesus Christ. And in other ways, we give. We give. We give of our money. We give of our time. We give of our energy so that people here and around the world can come to know Jesus. Those are five simple ways that we can make disciples. So the last two truths about the mission we see here. Number four, the mission is never happens alone. The mission never happens alone. We make disciples with his presence. Verse 20. You teach them to observe all I've commanded you, and I love this. Behold, I am with you always. The mission never happens alone. We make disciples with his presence, in his presence. That means when you're living on mission, on purpose, you're never alone. Never alone. No one may stand with you in what you're doing. No one may support you in what you're doing, but you're not alone. Through the power of the Holy Spirit we sang about earlier, Christ in you is the hope of glory, Colossians 1.24. You're never alone. I am with you means that the one who called us and saved us is the one who's with us and for us. The one who's called us and saved us. He's the one who's with us and for us. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Emmanuel means God with us. We read Matthew chapter 1. This is the good news. He is with us always. Even when no one stands with you, you're not alone. That's good news today. The last truth about the mission is this. The mission is not about us. The mission is not about us. When I caught the interception, I was pretty pumped about it. My name was on the headline, only for a second. Then a bunch of other people scored touchdowns, and it just went back down the list. 
I could have lived all season. I could be an Uncle Rico, if any of you guys know what I'm talking about. Live the glory days. Want to go back in time to relive that interception, all things I could have done differently to make it even more epic. Or I could be a part of the team. The team won the championship. I didn't win the championship. Who are you living for? What are you living for? The mission is not about us. He says, Jesus says, verse 19, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, this is the key part, in what? In the name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is why we go. For his glory. John Piper says it this way, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. It's not about us. It's trading the little story of me for the great story of the gospel. The bent of our heart is to make the mission about us, what feels good, what we're afraid of, what we want to make us comfortable. But the mission is about trading our story for a better story. He says, I'm with you always, low to the end of the age. And all throughout the Old Testament talks about ages, but it doesn't say ages here. It says age. Why? Because this is not the end. This is a blip on the map of eternity. And so we live today, not about today, but we live today in light of the day. The day when Jesus comes again, he comes to split the sky open, rescue us fully. Sin is completely done away with fully. That day is coming. Are you living for today or for that day? The fight is worth it because the reward is greater and Jesus is our reward. So the mission, it's not about us. It's about him. The writer of Mark According, Jesus said it this way, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? What does it profit a man or a woman? What does it profit to gain the whole world, to be the best in your class, to be the top in your school, to be the best at your business, in your field, and to lose your soul, to get to that day when Jesus comes back and eternity's realized and you've spent your whole life living for today, and what feels good, and what makes most of you, and what makes comfortable. And Jesus comes back again, and eternity is here. What are you living for? Today or that day? We've been called to make disciples so that more people can see King Jesus on that day. Why? Because he's worth it. I'm going to read a few sentences from uh, Let the Nations Be ba- Glad by John Piper. And I just want you to listen to this, okay? It's not going to be on the screen. I want you to listen to it. Because this is so important for us. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship does not. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship lasts forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations, the peoples, into the enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of all people in the greatness of God. Psalm 67 says, Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad, sing for joy. 
But worship is also the fuel for missions. Hang with me. Think about these words. There's a battle for our minds and our attentions right now. Hone in to what we're saying. This comes out of Scripture. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. I love this. You cannot commend what you do not cherish. We will not commend to others what we first do not cherish ourselves. And so the mission is about him. It's not about us. But if we make the mission about us, we cannot commend him. Why? Because we don't cherish him. We cherish us. We cherish our career. We cherish our kids. We cherish our advancement. We don't cherish our Savior. You cannot commend what you do not cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad, who cannot say from the heart, I rejoice in the Lord. We will never call other people to see Jesus if that is not who we are rejoicing in ourselves. Missions begins and ends in worship, where passion for God is weak. A passion for missions will always be weak. The mission is not about us, it's about Him. Remember grace. Remember what he did. Remember how he saved you, how he saved me out of the pit, how he rescued us. And out of that, we carry the gospel around the world and around the corner. Who are you making disciples of? Where are you going? What is the mission of your life? What are you trying to find your purpose, your joy in today? I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Invite the team up. We're going to respond through song. With your heads bowed, eyes closed, I I just want you to think about the words that I'm saying and I'm going to pray over us and we're going to respond. If you're a Christian in this room, if you're a Jesus follower, don't think about lunch. Don't think about the person to your right or your left. Don't, don't think about what to do tomorrow in class. I just want you to think about the gospel for a minute. I want you to remember. I want you to think about when did God rescue you? Just think back. Think, think back to what caused the things that opened your eyes to see the truth of the gospel. What brought you there? What, what took you there when, when you saw Christ's death in your place for what it really was for the first time. And you saw your need and you turned to him and said, I, I, I trust you, believe in you, I love you, I need you, rescue me. Remember that day. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, have everlasting life. God so loved the world, the world cosmos, all people everywhere. The same rescue that you've experienced you now carry. You have everything you need. You don't need a seminary degree. You have God's word and you have God's spirit. Where is God calling you to carry it today? Who is God calling you to carry it to today? Who are those people you interact with at work, at school, at home? They are far from Jesus. Are you broken for them? Are you burdened for them? And as a friend, as a brother, I'm not nearly as much as I should be. And I just confess that now. But I want to be. I want to drive through Johnson City with a weight on my heart. 
I want to look at our high schools, our middle schools. I want to look at the people that I bump into at the coffee shop, just with a burden on my heart, knowing that either they are going, know Jesus, and they're going to spend eternity with Him, love Him, enjoy Him forever, they are separated from Him, to regard people not according to the flesh, but the Spirit. Who has God placed in your life to carry the gospel to? What is the next step? Is it to pray? Is it to share? Is it to engage? Is it to multiply? Is it to give? Is it to go? What, what is it? We are all missionaries. And even in the moment, this moment, the stillness of your heart, just to ask God, who are you calling me to? Thank Him, praise Him for saving you. Then ask Him, who are you calling me to? For some of you, you might be wrestling with a call or have been to give your life to the ministry or to missions. To go study abroad, not, not for the cultural experience, but to carry the gospel to people who may have no access. Maybe for some of you it's to move, it's to relocate. Not for more money or better school district, but for the gospel. What is God calling you to do? Who is he calling you to go to today? For some, you might be in this room and your story is not grace. And even this morning as we talk about what Christ has done, you'd say, I've never experienced that, but I want that. I need that this morning. I need to be rescued. I need purpose. I need hope. I need Jesus. And today you can have him. You can be saved. You can be born again. Have your sin taken away. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if that's your story this morning, I'd love to talk to you about what that means. When you leave this place and we end in a few minutes, you can go by the hub. I'll be there. Others will be there. Grab a friend. Grab Pastor Derek. Just, just say, I need Jesus. And it's the greatest decision you can make. We'd love to help you do that. Father, we respond to you. I, as I look out over this room, I see missionaries. Every single person, bud bought, redeemed by the gospel as a missionary, Father. So I just pray that you would send us out. Give us a heart for the lost. Give us a burden. Help us understand that all authority is yours. And we are never alone. And our mission field is our life. And so help us to make disciples, not for our glory, but for yours, because you are worth it. So we just give ourselves in this time to you. Respond through prayer, through singing, through discussion, whatever God would call you to, this is yours.